So we've been, uh, we've been journeying, haven't we? Uh, those of you who come regularly through um, the Gospels, uh, encounters with Jesus is what we have been looking at to date. And we're going to carry that on. So if you have a Bible with you, a, a good place to turn to would be Luke uh, chapter 18. That would be a good place because that's the encounter we're looking at this morning. You can look all over all the places you like, but Luke 18 is where I'm going to go. Um, while you're doing that, um, and if you haven't got a Bible with you, don't worry. There's a big screen behind me, and the words will, as if by magic, appear there. And so while you're flicking that up, Luke 18, let's, let's just pray. Father, we approach you this morning because it's you we have come to hear from. Father, we are not interested in the words of man. We're not interested in our own efforts. Father, we want to hear from you because you have the words of eternal life. You know us better than we know ourselves. Your word speaks truth into our lives. It cuts deep into our souls and into who we are. Father, your word, like the same sun, softens butter and hardens clay. So your, same, so your word can, can soften our hearts and harden ours all. And so, Father, we come to you and we ask, will you speak? Will you speak? Amen. Okay. Luke chapter 18. I was at a conference 20-odd uh, years ago, and there was a guy called Erwin Raphael McManus, a Puerto Rican son of a German and Irish parentage. I don't even know how to work that out. Um, and he, he did this 45-minute teaching on the answers are in the questions. About three weeks ago, the penny finally dropped as to what he was saying. And I think this is a good insight into understanding that the answer is in the question. Let's have an examination of one of the questions that was asked of Jesus more than once. The question we're going to look at this morning is a question the Pharisees asked Jesus, uh, a, a young man, rich young ruler who we're going to look at this morning. He asked this question, a lawyer asked a question, a Pharisee asked a question, and a Sadducee asked a question. Um, so let's see what the encounter in Luke chapter 18 is all about. Now, can you see that? Now. They were bringing infants to him uh, that he might touch them. And when the disciples saw it, they rebuked them. But Jesus called uh, them to him saying, let the children come to me and do not hinder them for to such belongs the kingdom of God. Truly I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. And a ruler asked him, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments, do not commit adultery, do not murder, do not steal, do not bear false witness, honor your father and mother. And he said, all these I have kept from my youth. And when Jesus heard this, he said, then one thing you still lack, sell all that you have and distribute it to the poor and you'll have treasure in heaven and come and follow me. When he heard these things, he became very sad for he was extremely rich. And Jesus, seeing that he had become sad, said, how difficult it is for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. For it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. And those who heard it said,
Yeah, so finally then. But he said, what is impossible with man is possible with God. And Peter said, see, we have left our homes and followed you. And he said to them, truly I say to you, there is no one who has left his house or wife or brothers or parents or children for the sake of the kingdom of God who will not receive many times more in this age and in the age to come eternal life. I want to skip down now to verse 35. As he drew near to Jericho, a blind man was sitting on the roadside begging and hearing a crowd going by, he, in, he inquired what it meant. And they told him, Jesus of Nazareth is passing by. And he cried out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And those were, who were in front rebuked him, telling him to be silent. But he cried out all the more, son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus stopped and commanded him to be, uh, commanded him to be brought to him. And when he came near him, he asked him, what do you want me to do for you? He said, Lord, let me recover my sight. And Jesus said to him, recover your sight. Your faith has made you well. And immediately he recovered his sight and followed him, glorifying God. And all the people saw it and they gave praise to God. Thank you. Okay, we're back in there. Good. So the context of this is really important. The situational context of this story is very important. It starts off with, an, with something that has happened before in the life and ministry of Jesus. Little children are being brought to Jesus for him to sign, or I don't know what the idea was. But people wanted Jesus to hold their babies, okay? And, and, and the disciples saw this, and they were not happy. The disciples saw this, and they were not happy. You know, I don't know what they were expecting because we're heading towards Jerusalem. Jesus is about to come into his kingdom. Were they thinking Rome was about to be overthrown? Were they, about to, were they thinking that the religious establishment of its day was about to be overthrown? I'm not sure what was in their mind. But these people were bringing babies to Jesus and the disciples were like, excuse me, no. No babies to Jesus, please. This is very important business here. Why are you bringing the babies? And Jesus sees this happening and he says, let the babies come to me. Bring the babies to me. You know, the, the disciples had a mindset that was pre prevalent in their day. Let me read you what a rabbi, in fact, you can probably see it on the screen. Let me read you what a rabbi said, a contemporary of Jesus. Morning sleep, midday wine, chattering with children, and tarrying in places where men of the common people assemble, destroy a man. Now, we could probably go along with some of those things. But children were seen as a waste of time, and as a waste of space, mainly because in that time, most children wouldn't actually make it to adulthood. And so you really didn't want to make an investment in a child that wasn't needed. And here is Jesus saying to the disciples, no, don't keep the children away. Far from it. In actual fact, this is what the kingdom of God looks like. So bring them to us, not as a waste of space, but actually as an example. This is what we strive for. Now, do you ever, do you ever, do you ever see a children, do you ever see a child getting a present? Do you ever see how they get presents? They don't, we do it, we try to be sophisticated, don't we? They've got something for you. So somebody said to me this morning, somebody said to me this morning, I've got something I want you to have. Do you know what my instant response was? I'll pay you for it. That was my instant response. I can remember as a kid, you know, about 11 or 12, you go to your granny and your granny gives you a 50p. Granny still do 50ps? Is it five pound notes now? It's 20 pound notes now, is it? I don't know what granny's give anymore. What do grannies give? Lots of love. <coughs> you used to go to your granny and your granny would give you 50p 
right? And I, I used to go every Sunday to my granny's, and my granny would give me 50p, and that was great. And you'd go, thanks very much, and away you'd go, and you'd buy your 10p mix-up, and you'd have 40p left for the rest of the week. But when I got to about 11 or 12, I remember the, bringing the whole house to a standstill. Whenever my granny gave me 50p, and I said, oh, no, 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 no. I couldn't possibly do that. Everybody's like, what? <laughs> I was just coming to that age of awareness, do you know, where, where adults, because that's what adults do. Let me buy you a cup of coffee. No, 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 I'll buy you a cup of coffee. Unless it's Stephen McCaffrey, in which case he goes, that's fine, buy me a cup of coffee. <coughs> Children just receive presents. They just take them. You say to a child, if you're walking through a street with kids that you know and you're eating an ice cream, the child that you know will come up to you and say, can I have a lick of your ice cream? Now, I could be gasping for an ice cream. I would never say to anybody I knew, can I have a lick of your ice cream? I'd just say, oh, lick of ice cream. But children, no back doors, totally transparent, and they'll just say, they receive gifts without asking to give you something back in return. And they'll ask for gifts when they know you have something they want. Do you ever see a child when it's looking at like an icicle or a snowflake for the first time, just filled with awe and wonder? They don't see the Alps. You can drive through the Alps with children. They won't see that. But there will be things that will blow their mind. Totally filled with awe and wonder. Totally accepting. Totally transparent totally willing to accept gifts. There is no pride, there is no conceitedness, there is no cynicism, and there is no pretense. And Jesus says, you want to inherit the kingdom of God, you've got to come as a little child, willing to accept just as they accept. Whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. And straight off the back of that, this rich young man, a man of influence and of authority, comes to Jesus and he says, good teacher. What must I do to inherit eternal life? Like, <laughs> what do you say to somebody that comes? This guy is completely blowing smoke here. Sir, 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 excuse me, sir. What must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus says, why do you call me good? Have you seen that when we were soldiers? You know, when you need to watch when we were soldiers, there's a new recruit walks past the drill sergeant every morning. And as he walks past the drill sergeant the first morning, he says, good morning, sir. The sergeant says, how do you know it's a good morning? What's good about it? And every morning this plays out, good morning, sir. And the sergeant always has something with increasingly colorful language to, re to, to refute the recruit. Said, how do you know it's good? What's good about it? It's like that experience where Bilbo Baggins says to Gandalf, good morning to say hello and good morning to say goodbye. Jesus isn't doing that. But Jesus is putting the ball very squarely back in this guy's place. Good teacher, he says, and Jesus says, Only, why do you call me good? Only God is good. And you're calling me good? Just connect the dots there. Just planting the seed in this guy's head. And the guy says to Jesus, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What's the answer to that question? What's the answer to that question? 
from it. You can take the brethren out of the boy. No, you can't. <laughs> what must I do to inherit eternal life? The answer to that question is nothing. What do you do to inherit eternal life? You do nothing. You see, there's two assumptions here. There's actually more than two assumptions here. There's an assumption of eternal life, which we're not going to talk about. But there's two assumptions. The first thing is that I have some involvement in my eternal life. What must I do to inherit eternal life? Well, you do nothing. The Apostle Paul says to the Philippians, wrong glasses. The Apostle Paul says to the Philippians in chapter 3, for we are the circumcision who worship by the Spirit of God in Christ Jesus. We put no confidence in the flesh. That's me. I'm the flesh. You're the flesh. Our human nature is the flesh. Paul says, we put no confidence in the flesh. Now, this is the qualifications the apostle Paul has. He says, though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh, if anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day. That's really important. That's like full points on League of Church loyalty, if that's still a thing. Of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law, a Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church. As to righteousness under the law, blameless. That's like first class honors from Oxford or Cambridge with Stephen Hawkins as my mentor. Like it's that top notch stuff. But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. The translators went easy on us with that word. It's a stronger word that we can't use in church. I count as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may be gain Christ and be found in him. Here it comes. Not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ Jesus. What must I do to inherit eternal life? You do nothing. Don't even try to do anything. The other assumption here is the doing. What must I do? You do nothing and nothing need be done. How do you receive an inheritance? What do you do to receive an inheritance? You don't do anything. So how do you get to have an inheritance? Someone has to die and what? You need to have a relationship with that person, don't you? Receiving an inheritance is not about doing anything. Receiving an inheritance is about being, period. You receive an inheritance because of who you are, not because of what you've done. But Jesus gives this guy a break. He doesn't cut him down just yet. He gives him a break and he says, well, you know the commandments, don't you? And he turns to the Ten Commandments and he says, let's go on one more, Grunty. And he says, and if you look at the, oh, <laughs> there's no colors there. What's, interested, what's interesting about Jesus is that when he, when he turns to the Ten Commandments, he doesn't list them in honor because we know the big ten. But Jesus says to the guy, you know the commandments, do not commit adultery. That's the first one Jesus mentions. That's commandment number seven. 
Why is Jesus coming in at 7 of 10? Then he says, do not steal. Sorry, then he says, do not murder. Do not steal. Do not murder is Jesus' second. It's six in the list. Do not steal is Jesus' third. It's eighth on the list. Then he says, you shall not bear false witness. That's Jesus' fourth. But it's ninth on Moses' list. And then Jesus jumps back to the fifth commandment and lists it as his fifth and final commandment, honor your mother and father. Why does Jesus, do, why does he only list five? And why does he not list them in order? Is he just randomly throwing them out? Or is he trying to make a point? The thing about it is this. All of those commandments Jesus mentioned, if you break them, there's tangible evidence. You murder someone, there's a body. Commit adultery, you might try to keep it secret, but there's somebody else who knows. You steal something, the evidence of, of, what not is, of what's not there is there, and you're always in danger of being discovered. All of the commandments that Jesus lists are commandments that have tangible evidence if you break them. Honor your father and mother. Well, just just a phone call away. You can, does, he, does he honor you? Yes or no? And the guy says to Jesus, all these I've kept since my youth. Never stolen anything, not even a paper clip from the office. Not even a pen from the desk at the front door. I put it back. He's never told a lie. What, what do you say to somebody who tells you they've never told a lie? I think, I think that's testament in itself to the fact that they're a liar. All these I've kept since my youth. But Jesus doesn't condemn him just yet. I really hope this next picture works. Give me another picture, Grantley. Does it work? Oh. He says, all these I have kept since my youth. If I was Jesus, I would have said, you keep using this word. I do not think it means what you think it means. How can you, you have, there's no way you have kept them since your youth. But Jesus doesn't say that. He lets them off. But isn't it interesting that he finishes with honor your father and your mother? What Jesus doesn't mention at this stage is the first commandment, you shall have no other gods before me. What Jesus doesn't mention at this stage is that you shall not make for yourself a carven image or you shall not covet your neighbor's wife or servant or donkey or ox or anything else. Because Jesus knows that's what this guy's issue is. You know when a rich man comes to the religious type and says, what, what can I do for you? The religious type has lots of ideas. We need a new roof, new spire, new, new robes, or whatever. I'm sure that's the kind of answer he was expecting Jesus to give him. Oh, well, the kingdom could use your money. Jesus doesn't do that. You can't buy your way into the kingdom. Jesus isn't interested. So what he says is he realizes that this guy's wealth, that in the past has brought him influence, and in the past has brought him sway, that in the past has brought him credibility or status. Jesus says, 
your whole identity is caught up in that. And that thing has taken the place in your life that should be God's place. So take that thing that you hold so dear and give it away. Remove it from that place of honor in your life because you've put that thing before God. Give it away. That's a cardboard sale. And Jesus says, that's not, that's not all there is. It's not just about, it's not a case of if you give away your money, you're going to go to heaven. That's not it. Jesus says, give that away. Remove that from the place of honor. Now come and follow me. Come and be with me. Come and be in relationship with me. These riches, whether it's physical wealth or not, I don't, I don't know what your riches is. I don't know what your treasure is. It might be your money. It might be your status. It might be your identity, your career, your family, your children, your husband, your house, your car. I don't know what that is. And remember, in, in, in this day and age of that Jesus is talking about, Riches would have been seen as a blessing. That, you know, if, you were, if you were rich, it was God's blessing on you. And Jesus is flying completely in the face of that. And he says, this thing that is something normally to be embraced, that is normally seen as a blessing, it's taken the place of God in your life. You need to remove it. So many times... We've heard this parable told, or this, this story told, and we're, we're challenged in, into asking ourselves, what are we holding back? I don't think that's what the truth is. Because Jesus sees this guy's reaction, and his reaction is one to just walk away because he loves that thing, and he doesn't want to let go of it. And Jesus is sad as he walks away and he turns to the disciples and he says, you know, this guy's rich. And can I just make one point? Because we can look at this rich young ruler and go, well, he's a rich man, richer than me. The poorest of us in this room has wealth beyond this guy's wildest dreams. So we're in the category here. We're in the category that, that, that we have treasures that he would only dream of. And Jesus says to his disciples, do you know what? You see when there's something there in your life that you're holding on so tightly, it's easier for a camel to pass through the eye of a needle than it is for people who are held by a possession or a thing or a treasure to enter the kingdom of God. You know, so, sometimes there's an urban myth that has arisen around, you know, there was a gate in Jerusalem, it was called the Needle's Eye, and the camels had, the, all the stuff had to be taken off the camel, and the camel had to crawl, it didn't exist. And it's important to mention that it didn't exist, because it sounds like, if that was the case, well, camels can go through needle's eyes. Jesus is making the point, look, even if you have an industrial-sized blender and a really tiny funnel, camels don't go through needle's eyes, they just don't. Oh, well, you get it microscopic. Well, it stops being a camel at that point. Jesus is trying to show how preposterous it is for us to hold on to that thing that's really holding on to us and still follow him. 
So the question we have to ask ourselves this morning is not what are we holding back. The question that we have to ask ourselves this morning is what are we bringing to God in order to buy his acceptance? Because that's what the rich young ruler was trying to do. What can I do for you, Jesus, in order for you to give me what you have? That's what was going on. And that's the question we need to address. What are we bringing to God in order to buy his acceptance? Here I am, God, I'm doing it right. I'm the, are we, look, it might be the songs that we sing. We might be bringing God our song. We need to bring more than a song. We need to bring more than a song. We need to bring our hearts in order. It might be I'm bringing my knowledge, I'm bringing my understanding, I'm bringing my commitment to the word. It might be I'm bringing my morality. I'm bringing my work ethic. I'm bringing my sense of duty and obligation. What must I do to inherit eternal life? Nothing. Jesus says, I don't want any of that. And the people who heard Jesus saying that said, well, who then can be saved? Jesus, you're making this very, very hard. Jesus says, I'm not making this hard at all. Jesus says, it's not my intention to make this hard. It's my intention to make this impossible. I'm trying to make it impossible. When will you see? Why impossible, Jesus? Because when man faces something that's impossible, it's totally dependent upon he that can make the impossible possible. And that's what Jesus said. What is impossible with man is possible with God. And later down the line, Jesus is entering into Jericho. The blind man by the side of the road realizes there's Jesus coming and he says something really insightful. He says, Jesus, because that's his name, right? That's his name. That's the person with skin and bone whose feet walked, not in ancient times in nice hills and singing, but in Jerusalem, quite a bit of detail. That's a historical Jesus, the flesh Jesus that you could touch. He sees a historical person who walked on this earth, and then he says, Jesus, son of David. That's not just his lineage. That's a messianic title. This blind man can see what other people can't, that Jesus is not just a man, he is Messiah. He is God. Good teacher. Why do you call me good? Only God is good. Jesus, son of David, Messiah, creator, sustainer. And what does he say? What does the blind man say? What can I bring? No, he says, have mercy on me. What an insight this guy has. Have mercy on me. And the crowd around him are like, you look, be quiet. This is a very important person, and he's coming to Jericho. Will you be quiet? We're about to get the Romans uh, telling off here. And you're getting, you're. What does he do in response to that? He cries out all the more. He will not be dissuaded. He will not be distracted. He cries out all the more because he knows where he is, that he can do nothing in and of himself. He is entirely bankrupt in his own strength. And he's, Jesus, have mercy on me. 
totally dependent on the mercy of the Messiah, the sent one of God. Jesus says to him, what do you want me to do for you? Interesting question that Jesus asks. Didn't ask the rich young ruler that because the answer to that question as far as the rich young ruler was concerned, the rich young ruler didn't want Jesus to do anything for him. And he says, Jesus gave me back my sight. Jesus said, your faith has made you well. You have come to me with nothing. You have come to me totally dependent on me. And it's that that has healed you. And what does the blind guy do? He goes and follows Jesus. He stays with him in relationship with him. What is it that we are bringing to God in order to earn his acceptance? Because that's not what he wants. What he does want is a childlike faith. Faith of total dependence. Faith of total acceptance. A faith that is totally wonder-filled. A faith that is totally believing, that is totally humble, and is totally honest. If we've come this morning to meet with Jesus, we need to measure that. What is your treasure? What is in the place in your life that should be God's? What are you bringing to God in order to impress him? Can we get back to just having a childlike?